0: stand and continue to worship as we read God's Word. Uh, Psalm 123. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. This is God's word. Thank you. Maybe see that.
1: Well, thanks, Dustin, uh, for reading the word. I appreciate that he asked us to stand. We don't always do that all the time when we read God's word, but it just reminds us of the of the weight it should have upon our life. The truth that is it, that is within God's word. I just want to invite you into this process. We've been in a series called "The Song of Ascents." So, if you look at the Bible In Psalms, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 34, there's a little subheading under there. It says, Song of Ascents for each one of those. Now, Psalms are like poetic songs. They're meant to grab us in a different way than other scriptures do. They uh, and very much instruct us how to come before the God of the universe in prayer, how to pour our hearts out to him, which is also a great reminder that he wants to hear your heart. He, he wants to know you. He wants you in that posture before him. The song of a sense in particular, if you've ever made a playlist before on Spotify, Apple Music, maybe some of you did it on like a tape deck or something like that, you know. This is what the song of a sense is. It's a playlist for those who are journeying far from God to his presence. And in this way, we can all relate to this series of psalms because all of us are on a journey Every single human out there is on a journey. If you are still living, you are on a journey. And all of us are trying to find peace of some sort. The question is, where are you going to find that peace? What is the journey you're on? And what the Psalm of a Sense does that's so powerful, so beautiful, is it points us right to the only source of peace, which is the Lord. And as we read it here today, we know that the only way that that promise of peace comes true is through Jesus Christ. So we're going to jump into the next psalm, Psalm 134, or sorry, not Psalm 134, Psalm 123. And to be quite honest, it's just four verses long and it's wrecked my week, like in the best way possible. You know, I come to a chapter like that and as a preacher it can be easy to be like, oh, finally, like only a four verses that I've got to like walk through. And yet God used that in just such a profound way. Um, that it left me realizing I have so much I need to learn. And so I want to invite you right now. I'm hoping that God makes an indent on your heart today. I'm hoping that he rocks you the same way he rocked me. To help you maybe get a little bit of a feel for that. um, How many of you have been able to see Denali? Who's seen Denali? Okay, good, good. How many have seen it from the airplane? Okay, good amount of you. So have I. If you're visiting here If you're visiting Alaska for the first time, maybe you've heard of Denali, and sometimes it's a little shy about coming out, often it's covered in clouds. And as Alaskans, we are a little prideful when it comes to things like Denali, things like the Northern Lights. And what I mean by that is we just take it for granted. Ah, whatever, Denali's out, that's cool. Like, I'll take a picture of it, maybe send it to my lower 48 friends, be like, hey, hey, look where I get to live. But, you know, we we do that and then we move on with with life and we don't think much about it to the point where even with the Northern Lights, um, someone may put on Facebook or text you like, hey, the Northern Lights are out, and you know, you might look at the temperature, you're like, ah, it's 20 below, Uh, I think I'm gonna stay inside, I've already seen the Northern Lights, right? Well, two months ago, I flew down to Anchorage, and the Anchorage airport had an emergency on the runway, and so as we were descending, the pilot got on the intercom, they're like, you know, instead of circling the runway, uh, we asked permission, we're gonna take you over to to Denali and do a flyby, and in my Alaskan arrogance, I was thinking, ah, that's better than circling, That'll be pretty cool. Maybe I'll get some good photos. And when I've gone by Denali before on this flight, usually you're at, you know, you're close to the mountain. They dip the wing and then you're able to take a picture. They might circle it or something like that. Well, they actually went over the mountain. Like, not directly over it, but like off to the side where they didn't have to dip the wing. Like, you could look out there and it felt like you could reach out and touch it. Again, I've seen Denali my whole life, but all of a sudden I felt like the reality of the mountain made itself known to me. Like, it was like seeing it for the first time because 20,000 feet now made sense in my mind. Like, just looking down the backside of it where it just looks like a straight drop from the peak all the way down. And I'm sitting there just, I've flown my whole life. My dad's been a pilot for 20 years. I've been in little airplanes and been bounced around in wind. I've experienced all that. Flying doesn't bother me, but when we were that close to the mountain, I got this kind of, like, vertigo. It's the same feeling I get when I'm on, like, a 50-foot ladder because I hate heights like that. And I feel like if I fall off, I'm gonna, my body's just going to break. It was like that, but like with 20,000 feet. Like I almost had to like look away. The reality of the mountain made itself known. It also made known to me just how I'd been taking for granted the weight of this mountain, the reality of it in my existence as an Alaskan. So I hope the reality of God makes an impression on your soul today like the mountain made an impression on my heart. This psalm calls us to a servant posture before God and a constant plea for his favor. It pushes us to our knees when we so desperately want to stand aloof. It puts God as God, and it puts us in a place of not being God. This psalm calls us to believe that just simple fact. and In fact, that's just the points we're going to walk through. First of all, that God is God. That's simple. God is God. Secondly, we are not. And third, we need his favor. That's what we're looking at today. Would you pray with me? God, would you humble us today? Maybe where we have been arrogant. Maybe where we have been so comfortable being in church or living with the idea of God that we've maybe thought that we could just walk alongside of you like a buddy or something like that when you created the universe. When you are so majestic, you're full of, you are what life itself is. You are the life. God, you're holding everything together right now. The only reason I can speak and stand in motion with my hands is because you have made it so. And so, God, would you put us in that place of looking to you and saying, no, you are God, you are the God of the universe, and that I'm not. And that that's the best place to be. Would we, would the heart cry of our life, moment by moment, day by day, be a cry for your favor, be a cry for your mercy, because we know you'll give it. Jesus, would you do this to our hearts? You're the only one that can bring us to that place. Would we just be in that place of wonderment with our jaws dropped open, because you really are God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's open up to Psalm 123 again. Um, also, just as kind of a reminder as we're going through this series, there's this art that's up here. My older sister is an artist. She, she paints this every week for each psalm. It's a, it's a pleasure actually to be able to walk through what I'm studying with her and just to see what comes out of her creative expression. And so these pictures are going to be up here as just another way to express the heart of this psalm. So looking at Psalm 123, just verse 1, to you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned, in the heavens. We don't wanna move too quickly past this. To you I lift my eyes. If you back up two Psalms, to Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. In this journey that we're on, often we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're we're looking to understand more of what it's like to live this life following and pursuing him. And we start learning like we can try and look to other things. Or we can get overwhelmed by obstacles in our path like looking at the hills. And then eventually get to that place where we're looking to the Lord. What I love about Psalm 123, it's like a veteran journeyer. It's someone who's been on the trail for a while, and they know immediately, no, I'm not even looking at the hills. I'm looking straight to the Lord. To you, I lift up my eyes. Would this be our immediate posture? Boom. Looking to the Lord. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Think about that for a minute. The heavens. We we barely understand what the heavens are like. I think we just sent up this other telescope. I don't remember the name of it. Launched it into space, and they just got some images back from it. But I would have had more time, I would have put it up on the screen. And by those telescopes, we can see, like, the millions of galaxies that are out there. Those are his chair, like, They're his chair. They're his throne. Like thrones are meant to show the majesty of the one who sits on it, the power and authority they have within it, the galaxies themselves. That means that little bit of aurora, it's like a little bit of just, I don't know, just a little speck on his seat that makes it that magnificent. That magnificent. Oh, you who are enthroned. The reason that the author is writing this is to show us that God is anything but common. Anything but common. In fact, maybe you have heard this concept of like taking God's name in vain. Something like that, right? Well, when you take God's name in vain, you know what you're doing is you're taking God and you're making him common. You're making him less in your eyes, And so what the author is doing us is is just reminding us, like, God is not less. God is not common. Understand what's going on. In the Bible, there are two depictions, in Isaiah 6 and then in Revelation, where it depicts a throne room where someone is, like, welcomed by a vision, by a dream to be in the throne room of God. And and, and their reaction is, is to get down at least here, if not on their very face. And so when you think about the majesty of God and you think about who he is, man, my hope for you and myself as I read this, man, let's get comfortable being on our knees. Let's get comfortable with our heart being in that place where we're saying, no, God, you are not common. You are the God of the universe. Make yourself known to me. Help me realize and feel the weight and gravity just like I saw Denali again, like it felt for the first time. Would you again make yourself known as if it were for the first time? Being a God of the universe, one who created it with his words, man, it calls us to a place where he is holy other. He's in an insurmountable position. (laughs) He's set apart. That's what holy means. If you've heard that religious word being thrown around like holy, it's this idea of perfect, set apart. There's no other like him. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I hope by now, not only that you are seeing yourself just a little bit smaller, but even the people that we fear, whether it's a a Putin or another leader, that you see they are nothing compared to the God who sits in the galaxies, who's enthroned above all. I want to read this paraphrase of Isaiah 40, 12 through 17. It's taking a more literal translation of the Bible and and making it a, a little more... Relatable language. It says this Who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands, or measured the sky between his thumb and little finger? Who has put all earth's dirt in one of his baskets, weighed each mountain and hill, including Denali? Who could ever have told God what to do or taught him his business? What expert would he have gone to for advice? What school would he attend to learn justice? What God do you suppose might have taught him what he knows? Showed him how things work. Why the nations are but a drop in a bucket, a mere smudge on a window. Watch him sweep up the islands like so much dust off the floor. There aren't enough trees in Lebanon, nor enough animals in those vast forests to furnish adequate fuel and offerings for his worship. All the nations add up to simply nothing before him. Less than nothing is more like it. A minus. He describes himself as the beginning and the end. He describes himself as I am. Do you see God with weight in your life? When something has weight in your life, it causes you to focus your attention upon it. Or maybe a more scientific way of looking at it is if the the planets revolve around the sun in our galaxy, they do that because of the way gravity has an effect. It pulls them. There's no way the planets can get outside of the sun's orbit, at least as things are right now. Is God like that in your life? Or does something else have greater weight? Is there something else attracting you? Maybe because you see God as common in your life. When we see God as common, that means other things are rising up into that position. And then we begin focusing our attention. We hope that those things, those people, those relationships, that they would give us peace. And yet, they are not God, they do not sit on a throne made of galaxies. They are not the beginning and the end. They are not the I am. So we look at this. How do we respond to our vast, majestic, and weighty God? How do we respond? We change our posture. Maybe you grew up in a home where posture was everything, you know? You're not supposed to be slouched in your chair. You're supposed to sit up, tighten those abs a little bit, have good posture. And when something gets your attention, you sit up a little straighter. Maybe you lean forward, you're paying attention. Our posture and the way we act actually makes up the majority of our communication. It's not actually our mouths and the words that we're speaking. It's actually the movement of our body makes up 55% of the communication that we give to people. And sometimes I wonder what my posture of my soul means to God. You see, the author and the writer, they're taking time to recognize God and letting it affect how he approaches and how the community should approach God to ask for his help. Look at this in verse 2. It says, My help comes from the Lord. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at 121. Going back to 123. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of, her, of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes Look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy upon us. I mean, the indication here, the, the, the poetic descriptions that are coming out is not just where their eyes are looking, not just how they're taking their eyes and lifting them up, but they're looking at the hand. And that indicates that they're, at the very least, probably right here looking at the hands, giving reverence to their master, to their mistress. And so similarly is the author calling us, to posture our soul in a similar way. Where do our eyes look? Where does our body go? And the reason for that posture, it's maybe not what you think. You realize any good, any hope, any sort of life depends on God's view of you. Let me say that again. You realize any good, any hope, any sort of life depends on God's view of you. How God views you is what matters for this life. I've been taught as I've worked through seminary and and just reading scripture, there was a a famous guy, I can't remember, and he, he said this phrase of like, the thing that matters most in life is your view of God, and there's truth to that. But I was struck by this idea of, but what about God's view of me? How does he view me? Because if he's the one who sits in the galaxies, his perspective of me better matter for my life. And this is where God's power maybe, Maybe it would look a, different, a little different way than you might think. Often when we think of God being big, vast, powerful, we think of him as distant. We might even think of him as cruel. We might think that he doesn't really care about us. And yet, it's... Quite different. It's by God's greatness that his goodness becomes that much more fantastic. By God's greatness, we not only tremble from the fear of just his magnificent, but we tremble from joy. You see, it is by God's greatness that his love is great. His mercy extends beyond our sin. He notices us. He can favor us. And so I think, much like if you notice in verse 1, it starts with someone who is who's singing this song, maybe who wrote it. It's in the first person. But by the time it gets down to verse 2, it's changed to a community. And so our hearts as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, man, our posture needs to change. I think I've grown up in church, and I've, I've just gotten content in many ways with being comfortable with God. It's almost like he's standing next to me, and I'm just looking next to him, and I can take him or leave him. When really I need to remember, no, no, this is the God who made the galaxies and the stars. This is the one when people got a little bit of a whiff of a contact with him. They were on their face. And that that's a good thing. It's a right thing. It's not something that we have to think of as as terrible. It's something that's good. And I think where we get trapped in in this is because our culture calls us to posture ourselves differently. Our culture, I mean, just look at the ads. Look at the music today. If you, love, uh, if you love hip-hop especially, just look at the top songs and what's going on. It's people who are posturing themselves, saying, hey, look at who I am. Look at what I'm wearing around my neck. Look at the stacks of bills that I can just flash before you because I've made it. And even within our church, this happens, right? Is we get caught into posturing ourselves towards one another. We get caught in maybe judging one another or feeling the judgment of others. We get caught in trading the power and the majesty of God for what only our own strength and our own power can give us. And it's this small, it's not even dust compared to what he has to offer. And so this, these are some of the ways that we've, without even thinking, our culture has just put us in this. I've just realized how much of this has seeped into me without realizing it. Things like, I'm always right, I'm master of my own fate. I decide what I will where, eat, drive, and what job I will have. I know what's best for myself. I will protect myself. I will not ask for help. You see, in the Old Testament, when Israel would experience revival, they often expressed it by knocking down the monuments they had made to false idols that they had set up. And I think we need to knock ourselves down. I think we need to knock ourselves down back to our knees where maybe we have put ourselves and without even thinking we've acted like our culture, thinking that we're we're the top, we're the ultimate authority. And so this is my hope for our church, to be unified on our knees, to be unified in that place where we have surrender, we have life because we recognize that God is God and we are not. And that leads us to cry for favor So let's read the next two verses. It says, have mercy upon us, O Lord. And actually, I'm just going to back up a little bit to verse two. It says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Have mercy upon us. So I'm going to go a little nerdy with the word mercy for a little bit. You see, I read about six or seven different translations because I started realizing that people were translating it differently. You read the ESV, which we use at church, it uses mercy, have mercy upon us. You read another version, it will say, have grace upon us. And then if you read yet another version, it says, Lord, have favor upon us. And I started thinking, man, this is going against the, the simple definitions I was given as a kid. Like, what's really going on within this word? Maybe it's calling me to something deeper. And as I dived a little bit more, I started understanding that the, the translation I read that had favor really captures that, the idea the best. And the reason why is because when God has favor upon us, When he decides to put his favor upon us, it is a mercy. It saves us from his wrath when he favors us. But it's also a tremendous gift. He pays attention to us. He loves us that deeply that he would see you, that he would know the hairs upon your head, that he would even create you in the first place. is indication of the deep favor that he wants to give. And so um, this... One guy put it well. Derek Kidner said this. These servants are watching for relief, not for orders. Yet servants they are still loyal and submissive. They have refused to ease the strain of waiting for God by renouncing him or to buy off the contempt of the proud by joining them. So, this is something we need from God, desperately need from God. Like, I've always thought, especially reading mercy, I'm thinking the only times I need to ask for God for mercy is when I've screwed up in some way. Yet, when I understand deeper what this means and what favor means, what grace really means, I start realizing, like, God, let this be the cry of my heart every moment, day by day. I need it for just to be able to make this journey, God. I need your favor. So, why does God's favor matter? Let me, let me go one step further. Why does your life matter? And I especially want to speak to those who've maybe struggled with the depression in your life. Maybe you've contemplated suicide. That happened to me once. And as I was studying this and, and just contemplating this, maybe in God's eternal vastness, we only see Him as angry, and we lose sight of God's vastness when it comes to His love and the deep, deep love that he has for you. A music artist once wrote, who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of a million stars? Well, I do. This song was written by an artist who was struggling with depression, who eventually committed suicide. And his song was like a plea. It was like he knew other people were feeling the exact same way that he did. He knew others felt useless, pointless, hopeless, not mattering to this world, and he wanted to let them know, like, hey, no, you actually matter. Here's another little story As I know this little girl at Radiant, just a little, little toddler. She can't hear, she's had multiple surgeries done on her. Why does her life matter? Who cares about the lives that are being snuffed out day by day? Well, I believe God is the only one who cares for each and every soul in a way that we we can't even fathom. He's the only one who truly knows how to value life. And his vast power responded, not by being aloof, but by coming down. He didn't stay distant from us. He didn't stay out amongst the galaxies. No, he became a human named Jesus, and he walked in our shoes. He understood the brokenness of our world, and it came to a point where he said, I'm going to die on your behalf. I'm going to die so you don't have to. I mean, we deserved it. We've, we've messed up this world. We've created the environment that we're in. We deserve what we get, but he still came. God came. Jesus' life and his death created the means for God's favor to be eternally on us because he rose from the grave. Death didn't hold him down. And so now God can look on us with favor if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we follow his pathway to be with God, to find the peace that's on the other side. And, and I want you just to think about this. Even if you're younger here, maybe you're 9, 10, 14, 15, Do you know what it means to have favor? When someone looks on you and says, not just that I love you, but I actually care about you. They actually know you. They actually have attention for you. The God who sits amongst the galaxies actually looks towards you. And when Christ is upon us, it's not with wrath. It's with a deep love. Richard Sibbs said this, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us let me say that again, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. This is why our cry for God's favor matters, because we realize there's no hope in anything else. We can try and put hope in our efforts, in our strength. We can try to stand tall, stand as a giant, but we are this small. We're even smaller when it compares to being God. So when we're his servant. When we're on our knees, when his favor is upon us, we have the God of the universe at our back and there's no one who can stand against him. No one can stand against that. You can try and do it on your own and you're gonna get crushed. You can try and navigate life and find out that there's not much there. And so our cry comes for God's mercy, his favor, his grace to be upon us. I hope this maybe changes the verse that you've heard in church before. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 Where it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. (laughs) For For by grace, for by favor, that's what grace literally means, is favor. For by God's favor, you have been saved. And it's through faith in what Christ did on the cross. And that's the thing. It's not just this one-time request. It's not this one-time request of like, God, I need your favor upon me, and you say the sinner's prayer. No, that's just the beginning, man. That's the beginning of a journey where your constant cries for God's favor. And so we move to the last part of the psalm. Why is this writer, why did this songwriter, this artist, put this in here? Why is he crying for mercy? He's built it all up to say, we've had enough of scorn. We've had enough of derision. And, and the context most likely was Israel after they came out of exile where they'd been in a foreign land. They came back to their home uh, country. And it was filled with a bunch of other people who did not like them. If you've ever come across the term Jew used as an explicitive or used as, in a mocking way, that started from way back when. And so they're crying out, and oftentimes it was a cry of repentance. They realized they deserved to be in exile, that God had warned them, that said, hey, if you turn from me, it's not going to end up good for you. And that happened. And so they came to this place of realizing we've had enough, God. We've had enough of being outside of your presence. We've had enough of being out in enemy territory. Would you, would you come? And as I thought about it, about that, I was like, man, it's hard to relate to as the American church. We're not in a persecuted context. And yeah, there are times where maybe at our work or maybe if we're trying to speak of Jesus, that it's tough, it's hard. We do face derision, even more so on popular media as, as the, the name of the church has been plastered up and there's been failings within the church. There's been all these things happening. Yeah, maybe that's happening more, but it still, still doesn't quite match what this author's getting at. And I realized... Maybe it's because we're the greatest source of our, of our own scorn. You See, this is what happens when you have the posture that you're the man, that you're enough, that you try to live by what the world calls us to. Like, I can be enough. You often become the greatest source of scorn and derision in your life because when you're not enough, you're like, man, you screw up. <laughs> you're a failure. What the heck? Why did you do that? And so oftentimes we become that source of derision, and it gives this a new flavor when you think about it, where I'm like, sometimes I've got to cry for God's favor because I realize I've put myself in a place where I'm looking down on myself, where I've tried to hold it together, where I've tried to be God when I'm not God, and I've suffered the consequences. And yet, there's Jesus waiting for me to come back to my knees, waiting to come back and recognize him as the God who sits on the, the throne made of galaxies. And he comes because of Jesus Christ. He comes with an everlasting love and grace and forgiveness for when I've screwed up. But it's also for those who are under scorn and derision. One of the ways this happens a lot is when we try to help some people out. When we try to be Jesus to someone, they turn around and smack us. They actually get angry at us. They might even leave us and call us people who hate them because we spoke truth into their life or we tried to lead them back to Jesus. We tried with all our strength and it's so easy when that happens to think like, God, like if I, I guess I failed, I teach me what I need to learn. What, what happened? And so often that kind of derision and scorn is enough to just push us down and actually to get us to a place where we don't even want to be a part of a church family anymore because of how tough it can be. And what this psalm calls us to it's to cry for God's favor, to cry out to him. So what would it look like this week if all your prayer is is simply, God, bring me back to that place of being on my knees, of recognizing who you are. God, give me, just help me understand what it means to cry out for your favor and to trust you with that. that and that's how I want, I want to close is when you look at the end of verse two, it says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. It's an expectation that he will do what he says he will, that he is a God with mercy, that he has a God of favor, and he wants to dispense it to those who would cry out to him. So I invite you, cry out to God this week. When you wake up in the morning, just start off with saying, maybe you're just, you're barely able to get your eyes open, and, and you do not feel like talking, let alone praying. Bring that to God. This is where my heart's at. I want to be in that place where I recognize you. I want to be in that place where I'm crying for your favor, and I don't even have enough to, to get out of bed. And just make that your cry every week. Maybe that's where you need to start. May, maybe you've gotten jaded from some conversations, some things that have happened and the devil's working through that to try and keep you from the peace of God will cry out for his favor. I had to do that this week. I had to bring some things that have happened this last year as I've learned what it's meant to be an elder, what it's meant to be a leader in the church and I recognize I'm not enough. I had to bring some of those things that happened. I'm like, God, I guess I'm still hurt. I guess I still feel pain. I I guess that was tougher than I thought it would be and I need your favor right now, and I need the ability even to forgive people in the past when I thought I had forgiven them. What would happen if you pleaded for God's favor before you had a tough conversation? What would it look like if you pleaded for God's favor before you went to a job interview? What would it look like to plead for favor when you have to admit your own wrong to someone, and it just feels like, your soul sunk to the pit of your stomach, and and that's exactly when you need to cry out and be like, God, have favor upon me because I don't have enough. I need you right now. You see, I think many in the American church are feeling dry in their devotional life, whether that's reading God's word or praying. I think many people are struggling in so many different ways because we aren't comfortable on our knees, because we've not remembered that God is God and we are not, And so no wonder the scriptures don't mean much to us or that we struggle in prayer. I think sometimes it's because we don't take the time to get on our knees and remember that God is God. And that maybe that's okay that your devotions is just that. Sometimes we make it too complicated. It's like, no, just get back on your knees before God. And remember that when we get there, man, the posture of a servant crying out for God's favor, guess what? You can stand straighter than someone who has a couple grand stack of bills. You can fight harder than anyone else. You can have purpose. You cannot hope to stand straight, fight harder, or have purpose unless you're on your knees before God. So I encourage you. I mean, this is the way God's been working in my life, to be honest, as a preacher, as an elder, as a pastor, where God's been saying, like, you have not seen me as God in this last season you've been trying to put yourself in that place and you're suffering the consequences. And even as I wrestled this week, it was like this back and forth where there was a moment where I was like, I need this, I want this, I desire this. Another moment where it's like, I kind of like where I am. Would you join me? Would Would we be unified as a church getting back to this? Let's start right now. Like we take communion every week. We practice open communion. We got two tables up here. We got a table in the back. We make mention of it every week because that's us crying for God's favor. It's reminding us that the cracker represents his body being broken. The liquid in there, in our case it's grape juice, represents his blood being shed. And we look to that because that's the only way that we get God's favor. That's the only way that the God who sits enthroned in the galaxies looks on us and smiles, and he so desperately wants to do that. So maybe you've been in that place similar to me. You've been in that place of fighting, and maybe you haven't recognized God as God. Come and, and just tell God that, repent of it, and run to the table. Maybe, maybe you've been in that place where you have been on your knees. To be honest, you're comfortable there because you've been so broken lately This like, this is all I can do. You are in a good place, and maybe you just need to hear that today. You're in a good place. Don't be ashamed of being on your knees because that's where you can fight. Maybe what you need to do is invite other people to be on their knees with you. And maybe you are in a great place of pursuing Jesus and you are in that season where things are just lighting off and praise God, come with joy to the table. And celebrate him and continue to cry for his favor because the reason you're in that place doesn't have anything to do with you, it has everything to do with Jesus. So I encourage all of us, let's get comfortable being on our knees, postured as servants, crying out for God's favor, because God is God and we are not. Now, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here just checking it out. Man, I would just challenge you, like, you're looking for peace. You're looking for favor. How's it working out? Because if you're like me, when I've tried to do it on my own, you start finding out nothing works out. Nothing ends up working for you. And I encourage you, come to Jesus today. Cry out to him. Cry out for favor from Jesus Christ, who died on that cross in your place, who has all the forgiveness in the world to offer you that will cover anything that you've ever done against God. And that's when you can take communion. That's what communion is for, is for those who put their faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come before you. And to be quite honest, that's how I start every prayer. Jesus, would you bring the weight back? Not just a prayer, but of your word. The weight of who you are just like with Denali, God, would you just make an imprint upon my soul again, bring me to that place of being comfortable on my knees and crying out, even when things don't make sense in life, even when I have a struggled week, even if I've had a tough conversation. Jesus, I want to pray that for our church right now. Would that be our cry? Would that be our posture before you? As a church, would we not be a church that stands aloof but that we, we bring it all out. We crack open our heart and, and spill it out before you, Jesus. Even as we sing songs right now, would, would we just come and lay it all out, Jesus? As we come to communion, help us to remember that it's by Christ we have favor with you, a good favor, a great favor. God, that you would smile upon us is a miracle. Jesus, let us take that into the world. Let us walk confidently among our co-workers, in our families. Let us walk confidently, not because of who we are, but because the God who sits enthroned in the galaxy sits right behind us, who has favor upon us. Jesus, I I don't got any other words. Hear our cries today. Pray this in your name. Amen.